The Space God Memoirs. Episode 17 I was anything but calm when I crawled into the pilot seat, my palms sweaty as I pressed them into the depressions. I peeked back to the seating area behind me, where the collection of knights sat, along with a few others. In addition to Prince Ophiro and his protector, we had Sirs Jettis, Vorse, and those bastards Somnar and Alien. Rayleigh was stuck back there too, nudged between them, her head lowered and her hair disheveled. Those scraggers had packed the ship to its limit, it seemed, with two big red dudes that looked like porters, plus a whole lot of backpacks. Elian himself stood and walked out the back hatch. He opened the door opposite me and sat down in the passenger seat. Well, I guess I'm your co-pilot for now, guide, he sneered at me. Gotta make sure you don't decide to go all rebellious and suicide us into a mountain or something. I was in no mood to answer him. I didn't even want to look at the man. So I just stared straight ahead, out the window at the lands beyond the city. Scrag, maybe I was inclined to suicide us all into a mountain. Almost. Though at that moment my thoughts veered more towards homicide. But of course I knew if I tried anything, Rayleigh would be next. So I supposed I had to pilot this thing. But my nerves were shot. My hands were twitchy. My eyes fuzzy, my heart racing. Whenever I'd catch a glimpse of that idiot knight in the seat next to me, I just wanted to kill someone. But I did my best to get calm, trying to breathing exercises for a good ten minutes before I noticed any difference. At that point, Sir Scragger reached over and poked me. You taking a nap or something? He asked, smirking. I went back to it, imagining thoughts and feelings washing away with each breath dissolving it all. My thoughts briefly flashed to Ven. Was he dead? What had happened to Gildar? I pushed those ideas aside. Likely I'd never see them again, either way. I didn't know if the meditation had gotten me calm enough or not. It didn't matter. Scragged. I breathed into the imprints. Turn on. The ship did just that, the panel glowing blue. I felt the familiar connection to Disa's mind. The readings told me the ship wasn't at full power, but that was no surprise. Probably enough energy left in it for a good long flight. But Balnar was far. Walking there had taken me a month and a half. At Disa's maximum speed, that would be cut to a day or two. Maybe the ship could get us there. But back? Perhaps these Morgamunchers didn't care. They didn't plan on returning, I guessed. Maybe this was a kind of suicide mission. The blue-lit panel flickered. I could feel my connection getting shaky. Focus. Again, I put my attention into my breath, breaking off the stray thoughts. Rise. I gave the command. The ship followed, levitating above the palace ramparts. Forward, I commanded, and it began coasting through the air, over the rest of the palace and the remainder of Ganadria City. 
I caught a glimpse of the lab, small and distant and quickly fading from view. Likely the last I'd ever see of that place, too. Another part of my life come and gone. The ship zoomed forward, the city soon disappearing behind us, the plains with it. In moments, we were headed over the Hiranal Woods, the dense forest spreading to the north of Ganadria, with its dark, rubbery trees covered in thorns. I had traveled through it before, had spent days traversing its maze of tangles and briars and avoiding the beasts it dwelt within. But now I flew over it in minutes. Beyond the edge of the forest, the great chasm reared up before us, spreading from horizon to horizon. It was a vast rent in the land, an enormous rift that split the continent from the olive mountains to the west to the ocean in the east. I sped towards it, the cliff on the opposite end rising higher than our side, until I could see the jagged pattern of rock on the cliff wall. It was getting close, rather quickly. I immediately pulled upward, the ship jolting a bit as it corrected its course. In seconds we were flying over the last of the chasm. Ahead awaited the northern lands, the true wastes of Aruvis. Beyond the chasm the land began to grow ever drier, covered in decreasing numbers of withered, dead trees. An hour of that, and it transitioned to barren flatlands of hard-packed dirt, covered in crisscrossing cracks and no vegetation to speak of. Hours passed as the vessel coasted over uncounted miles of dusty wastelands. I could feel a dribble of sweat coming down my forehead. The air was heavy, and my ass was getting sore from all the sitting. Behind me, I could hear the chatter of a few of the knights, talking on their comm systems, but I kept my focus on the slowly shifting scenery below me. As the sun stood high in the sky, the cracked wasteland began to transition into soft white sand that blew upon the cold northern winds, drifting across the flats or spinning into whirlwinds that danced far below. In time, that sand was all there was, strewn across the ground in wavy patterns, spreading along the length of the horizon. That was what stood between us and Belnar, the great expanse of desert that now covered the northern half of our continent. I suspected it had not always been so. I imagined a land of fertile fields and lush forests, prosperous towns and tradeways. But it was all now buried under this ocean of sand. I continued to coast above the featureless desert, the initial wonder of seeing the great sands again soon fading away in its sameness. For what must have been hours I flew above those silent deserts, nearly nothing changing. I would peek back occasionally to see the others, the knights sporadically conversing with one another in hushed tones, Rayleigh with her head against the wall, fast asleep. The prince sat upon the ship's floor, his legs crossed, his hands at his side and his eyes closed, humming softly to himself. In the adjoining seat, Allian glared at me, rolled his eyes, and let out a disgusted sigh. The bastard was getting bored. So was I. No way I was going to start a conversation with him. So I looked back to my viewport and concentrated on the sight of the wavy dunes on every side, and I imagined them to be like the waves of the distant ocean. Occasionally a sandstorm could be seen below, rampaging its way across the shifting desert. Twice I spotted bulging forms beneath the sand, great burrowing worms that dwelt below, 
could grow to the size of a large house, though I had no desire to fly down and get a closer look. In time, I fell into a daze, my mind blanking as I stared out at the endless expanse of sand. It was like our ship was the only thing in existence, and the rest of the world had just been a dream. I was so tired, exhausted, but beside me was still Disa's mind, spinning along with its engine, a constant companion, its presence nudging me awake, keeping me aware. Whenever I'd start to drift off, I'd feel it, like an electrical tingle in my thoughts, bringing me back to the present moment. The unchanging view shifted as the sun began to set in the southern skies, briefly casting the panorama in orange light before being fully extinguished into the black of night. The stars winked into existence above us, clear in the inky heavens. My course continued to lead me forward, and with the ground barely visible beneath me, I could easily imagine myself flying through the depths of space. Eons passed for me in that darkness, or so it seemed. The interior silence save for the faint breathing of the others, now mostly asleep. It was just me, the lights overhead, the blackness below. I fell into a kind of rhythm, keeping my breath steady, my thoughts focused, my mind synchronized with the circular pattern of the ship, until all of my reality was just a tunnel of starry darkness beyond the window. I don't know how long I may have coasted through that nether blackness, but as the time passed, a most curious sensation came over me. This was familiar. This felt right. Sitting there at the controls of a ship, stars all around. There was something eerily familiar about it all, as if this journey was bringing up some deep, immemorial existence, long sunken into the fathoms of my mind. The details would not come, of course. Maybe Mother Galani was right. Maybe I had a prior life as a pilot back before the retribution. It would explain an awful lot, but it wouldn't explain everything. There was something freaky going on, that was for sure. This all felt so surreal, so dreamlike, as if at any moment I would awaken in my bunk back at the lab. It was also terrifying, yet exhilarating at the same time. The Knights may not have told me the details of their mission, but I knew. Zooming through the starlit blackness towards the most dangerous spot in the world, it was clear. That vision during the first flight, the spindly black-skinned being. The trials will commence, he had said. And where else could this band of heroes be going but those trials? This is the end of the world, I realized as I stared ahead. These crazy yugs are going to some divine test. And I'm going to. All of this after I had already seen a scragging squadron of otherworldly vessels in the sky, and a vision of what may have been Lord Gervath himself. I knew that I couldn't turn back, unless I wanted me and my near sister to be killed. I should have been panicking, should have been in shock. But for some reason I wasn't. Maybe it was my connection to the ship's mind that was calming me down. Maybe it was Ven's breathing exercises, or my general state of tiredness, but a good part of me felt utterly calm. I almost wanted to see what this would lead to. I coasted forward, awash in strange energies. 
It may have been hours later when the first light of morning finally gave me a view of my surroundings, partially breaking me out of the trance I had been in. Below, lit in dawn's red glow, uncounted buildings sprang up from the dusty lands. Some were the hollowed-out metal towers like down in Soldra, while most were the husks of homes, so many thousands of sand-blasted buildings weathered by three hundred cycles of abandonment. The outskirts of Balnar, practically city in themselves. Beyond the scene spread countless more dunes of white sand that continued for many leagues, until they too ended abruptly on the horizon, where lands turned black as night and jagged, toothy mountains loomed. There lay Balnar, just past those dark peaks. I continued to drift ahead in the exhilaration of flight, only shaken out of my high when I noticed the ship's interface flickering. One look at the readings told me it was nearly out of juice. Scrag. I had hoped to clear the dunes at least. My heart jumped. How do I even land this thing? No, I can do this, I told myself. No time for the bulldog breathing, but I looked straight ahead and tried to center myself. I let the ship coast while I lowered the height gradually. As the blue interface screen was starting to fade, along with my connection to the ship, we tapped down on flat, dry land. The ship's bottom dragged along the ground for a few more moments before it came to a complete stop. I stepped out of the ship, onto hard-packed clay ground, its surface covered in countless tiny cracks. I had landed on a flat plain, the nearby views unbroken by hills or even dirt mounds, but the landmarks were clear. A number of ancient structures were visible, a few crumbling buildings that looked like homes about fifty yards off. To the north, well past them, stood a twenty-story building dotted with hundreds of identical windows. Probably an apartment complex at one time. Behind, I could clearly make out the trail the ship had made as I slowly coasted it to land. I touched Disa's side once more, the tingle of its sleeping mind still within perception, if barely. For another instant, I closed my eyes and let out a deep breath, as if saying goodbye to my old friend, now stranded in the wastes. I opened my eyes, the faint connection falling away. I took one peek up at the sky. None of those immense biological ships were near, though I could see their forms in the southern skies, now more distant. I wondered if they had watched us leave the city, if they were watching us still. As I pondered this, the others began to emerge from the ship. Allian came first, stepping out of the passenger seat before giving me an annoyed scowl. The others came after, Captain Bakibra beside Prince Ophiro, leading the procession of knights who marched out behind, followed by Rayleigh and the two red-skinned porters. At the rear of the party, I caught glimpse of another person leaving the ship. A slight figure in a voluminous gray cloak, the features hidden from view. Strange, I hadn't noticed anyone like that earlier. Wait, I told myself, noticing a single strip of cyan-colored hair beneath the cowl. Bakibra looked to me expectantly. Where to, Mr. Keff? she asked. I sighed. I was supposed to be guiding these jab-gaggers in whatever their insane quest entailed. I looked back to the line of people behind Bikibra. The cloaked person was gone. Or else someone had removed their cloak. Or I was hallucinating. I tried to count heads, but my brain was too frazzled to be sure. Could it have been her? Z? Or was I going mad? 
The Kibra tapped a metal-clad foot on the ground, waiting. We march forward, I stated, making an obnoxious gesture and pointing vaguely north. To Balnar and our glorious deaths. I took a step across the dry ground, then another. I walked at the lead of the party, acting like I knew just where I was going. That was a bit of dug of crap, but not totally false. I had only a vague idea of where I was. I wasn't utterly lost. That gutted apartment building in the distance looked familiar. Maybe. Or maybe it just looked like a lot of other buildings in this endless land of old buildings. Anyway, toward it I went, the others following like a herd of dugga. We marched for several hours across the desiccated flats, my eyes and lips feeling the dry heat of this land. By the time we arrived, the sun had begun its southern descent. Already there was a weariness upon me, the result of a bit of poor sleep and a whole lot of trauma. At that point we arrived at the old apartment, a hollowed out white shell of a building whose walls looked porous from years of wear. One peek inside told me there would be little of value. Just a few tubs and metal bits of furniture. Still, I raised a hand and told the others to stop. I walked inside, stepping softly to avoid any crumbling floors. Thankfully, everything seemed pretty solid. No creatures nesting inside, and about 20 rooms on the first floor alone, even if most of their doors were scattered across the hallway. There were even stairs leading up to the second floor, looking mostly intact. This is where we rest today, I said, turning around to where Bakibra and Alien waited in the doorway. Before anyone could argue with me, I added, This may be a wasteland, but these ruins are swarming with critters, mostly chavril. Guess the ancients kept them as pets or something. They got out of control. Anyway, we don't want to be exposed at night, that's for sure. So today we sleep in here. Nobody argued with me. Perhaps all of them too tired from the flight and the general craziness. After a few shouts from Bakibra into their shared intercom, the knights all began to arrange themselves in their own areas and set up their bedrolls. Prince Ophiro was led into one of the apartment rooms that still had a door and closed himself in for the night. Somnar and Alien both remained by the exit, each of them glancing back at me occasionally to make sure I didn't try anything brave. I would have gone over by Rayleigh, but she was under the watch of Vorce and Jettis, who stood over her like statues. As the shadows began to fill the apartment building, I sat alone there, leaning up against the wall and doing my best not to think of just how shitty a situation I was in. In all truth, I probably would have made her run for it if not for the threat to Rayleigh and the fact that there were two helmeted knights watching me from the edge of my vision. I tried to contemplate exactly how I was planning on guiding this clunky group through miles of deadly wastes without even knowing what their goal was. Well, whatever this group of heroes was planning, it was totally scragged. That much I could be sure of. These people were off on some crazy epic quest and they wanted to drag me along for the ride. I tried not to think about it too much as the sun set and the shadows within the enclosure expanded into a blanket of blackness. I crawled into my bedroll and did my best to get some rest, but I wasn't exactly in a sleeping mood. I lay on my back for what must have been hours, listening to the sounds of the wind whistling through the dry lands outside and between the weathered ruins, accompanied by the occasional cries of the chavril as they hunted in the dark. Maybe I got an hour or two of sleep that night. Maybe not. It all kind of rolled together until I found myself waking to a faint sunlight 
and an aching back, not feeling very rested at all. As the morning light once more began to spill into the weathered apartment, I stood up, weary and achy, but knowing there was no way I'd be getting much sleep here. I shambled over to the stairs and walked up to the second floor, avoiding the most treacherous-looking steps. Up there was even more blasted than the ground level, an entire wall having fallen away to form a single giant window overlooking the western flats. I walked to the edge and sat down, taking a deep breath as I watched the orange light of dawn slowly washing over these dead lands. Then I saw it, in the distance, a solid line pointing north across the flats, raised slightly above the surrounding ground. The high road. I knew that ancient railway continued even up here in the north, looking like the same raised platform I had crossed numerous times in the Southlands. Parts of it weathered from the sun and wind, but most of it still intact. I imagined that it had once stretched from the northern shores all the way to the city we now called Balnar, though the section that crossed the Great Chasm had long since fallen down to the depths below. This was the guiding point I needed. At least now I knew where I'd be leading this bunch of yugs. As I turned around, Bakibra was behind me. Her helm was still off, and she looked down at me with her usual stoic expression. She had a leather pack in her hands. This is yours, guide, she said, handing over the pack. Your trail rations, a lighter, some flares, and enough water to arrive at our destination. I grunted in acknowledgement, if not thanks. She stared down at the pack for a moment, then at me. I apologize, she finally said. For the treatment you have been given by my people. While it was all within the reach of Ganadrian law, my associates acted with undue cruelty. Trust me when I say you will be properly compensated, and I will do all my power to make sure your companion is unharmed. I didn't feel like humoring this chick and her politeness, genuine or not. Neither did I feel like coming up with some witty comeback. So I just turned my back on the night and looked out through the broken wall into the distance. That's the high road out there, I eventually said, not hearing Bakibra's boots walking away. It'll take us where we need to go. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoyed the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.